<laughs> Good morning. Uh, welcome to Grace Harbor. My name's John. I'm the lead elder here. And I hope you received a, a warm welcome when you came in the door this morning. Because there's a lot of ways to spend a snowy, chilly Sunday morning. And we're glad that you're here and you've decided to join us in worship today. We meet here every Sunday about this time, and we gather to worship and to fellowship and to grow in the knowledge of God. And last week, Eric taught us about how God provides grace for our growth. He taught us about God's power and his excellent promises and how they lead us to become partakers in the divine nature of Christ Jesus. Well, today's message continues in that theme of growing in that divine nature, and that is growing to be more like Jesus, the Son of God, and the title of this message is Developing Trust Muscles. So please notice the hyphen between trust and muscles. The hyphen tells us that that word trust is describing or clarifying the next word. It tells us what type of muscle we're talking about. Without that, it might tell us that we were supposed to put our trust in our muscles, or it might even be telling us to have trust in muscles, the bivalve with two S's, and I don't trust those very much. <laughs> so this is not about trusting in our muscles or the muscles with the, bi the bivalves, but it's about trusting and trust our, our trust muscles and developing those, our trust in Jesus. So forgive me as I date myself. Perhaps you're old enough to remember the recurring Saturday Night Live sketch, and it was titled Pumping Up with Hans und Franz. These were played by comedians Dana Carvey and Kevin Nealon. And they played these Austrian bodybuilders who were supposedly cousins to Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he himself appeared in one of the sketches one time, and he actually taunts them. He calls them girly men because he thought they were kind of weak. And they always started, um, they, they promoted all kinds of things. That they were into physical fitness for kids. And they would hand out, like on Halloween, they'd hand out bee pollen and vitamin C as healthy alternatives. And each week they'd start their segment um, with the introductions. And they were in these outrageous Austrian accents. And one would say, I am Hans. And the other would say, Und I am Franz. And they would say simultaneously, and we're here to pump you up. <laughs> well, that's what Eric and I are here to do. I tried to talk him into standing up here with me and doing that. He wouldn't do it. But we are here to pump you up Second Peter style, because that's where we are in our study. Uh, our text today is uh, Second Peter chapter 1. And we'll be in verses 5 through 7. But I do want to read verses 3 and 4 for context. Because I think it will help us to better understand what Peter is trying to teach us. So may God bless the reading of his holy word. Starting in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life 
and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire for this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love for us, your desire that we not only put our faith in your son, but that we grow in our knowledge of him and our ability to trust in him. And Lord, as we exercise and grow in spiritual strength, would you help us to live out these words as individuals as well as corporately? It's through Jesus I pray these things. Amen. As I mentioned, this message is all about developing our trust muscles. And really, what we're exploring this week is this idea that we exercise one muscle to develop some additional spiritual muscles or characteristics. I put up last week's points as well because I want to make it clear that the growth that we're talking about today, this is all based upon the finished work of Christ. In other words, his divine power, his promises, and the fact that he is, is the one who saves us in order to become partakers in his divine nature. Make no question about it. There should be no question. He is the object of our faith. And this week, we talk about developing these muscles, and we're going to do it we, we need to do it with his help, and we do it kind of sequentially, and we exercise one as we develop another, and we'll talk about how each trait leads to the other, and so on and so forth. And we develop these, as, and first as individuals, but ultimately we, de we develop them in community, and we develop them for the purpose of community as well. This outline, along with some sample questions that you might want to have for discussing it with your friends or your family, there's also a table of information. It's all available on the app. Just click on sermon notes and questions. And we try and have this same type of information available there each week at your fingertip. Uh, so please avail yourself to those uh, hopefully helpful documents. So point number one, he is the one who helps us to develop these trust muscles. Truth is the foundation for those muscles. See, we have to come to know the truth of scripture, the truth about Christ. That's what happens when we first believe. We realize through God's help, the truth and in order for God to develop our ability to trust him further, 
we have to understand that it's all based on Jesus and his righteousness, not ours. Much of this was covered last week in Eric's sermon, but I want us to know that we could be the most diligent person on earth and excel in these characteristics, and we could develop an outwardly really impressive set of muscles, but they would be based upon our work rather than his. So I don't want you to fall for that lie. We cannot earn our way to God. We cannot please him any more than we could save ourselves. There are numerous examples of people who demonstrate excellence in many of these characteristics that we're going to talk about, but it's based on their work. So they get the credit for it, not him. Trust muscles, on the other hand, are based on the truth of Christ himself. And also I want you to notice that our passage, which is really an extensive list of characteristics that, that we're supposed to be working on to, with his help, this, it looks like some other lists of attributes that we can find in scripture. And for example, uh, Galatians 5.22, we're probably pretty familiar with this, but it's called the fruit of the spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so these types of, at, these lists of attributes, we, we often compare how, how we're doing. Like, are we, how are we being transformed into Christ's likeness? Are we looking more like these attributes daily? And remember last week, Eric reminded us that the law could not save us. It's only through placing our faith in Christ and allowing him to transform us into his likeness, partaking in that divine nature. It's only that way that we can be saved. The fruit of the spirit is just an, it's another set of attributes, things we consider, things we strive for as we grow to be like Jesus. There's no law against these things. You see, Jesus fulfilled that law when we couldn't. Amen. Outside of Christ, we can't live these perfectly like he did. These lists are doing their best to describe this divine nature that we are invited to partake and grow in. You see how this is starting to work? It's not based on works. It's based on a person, the Christ. He's the one who has to transform us. We simply cannot do it ourselves, but there is work for us to do. That's why Peter writes, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Notice that it all starts with faith. 
belief in Christ, in the truth. It's because of that faith in Christ that we are to make every effort. In other words, there's some work to do. <clears throat> and we are to make every effort to supplement that faith with a list of these spiritual muscles that we're talking about. We're not simply adding to these things. The, the Amplified Bible says it this way, employ every effort in exercising your faith to develop virtue. And then it goes on to say that we're supposed to exercise each of those muscles to develop the next one. So we're to make every effort to exercise our faith to develop virtue. Virtue, it's kind of a funny word. We don't use it much in the English language anymore. At least it's not common in everyday speech. But we actually got introduced to this word back in verse 3 where it gets translated differently, but it gets translated as the word excellence. Same word, though. And verse 3 says, Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And the Greek word there is arete. And in this case, it means excellence of character. Being good. Being diligent. And Greek philosophers, they used to use this word as the fulfillment of something. When anything in nature fulfills its purpose, that's virtue. That's virtue excellence. And for example, the land, when it produces a crop, that would be described as, that's excellent. Because it's fulfilling its purpose. A tool that is working correctly is excellent because it's doing what that tool is supposed to do, what it's designed for, its function, its purpose. And we, as believers, we are to glorify God because God has given us his nature. We show excellence by fulfilling our purpose in life. And virtue in our, a Christian's life, it's not simply just polishing these human qualities, no matter how admirable those qualities may be, but it's really developing divine qualities, divine characteristics that make us more like Christ. So we exercise our faith and develop virtue, and then we supplement that virtue with knowledge. The word translated knowledge here, that's gnosis. It's the same word back in verses 2 and 3, and it really means full knowledge or knowledge that's growing. And the word here, it, it suggests a practical knowledge or discernment. It has street smarts. In other words, it has savvy. And it refers to this ability to handle life's circumstances successfully, skillfully. 
Have you ever heard of somebody being referred to as so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good? This is not that knowledge. This is the type of knowledge that's applicable, it's real, it's authentic. And it's not just a gimme. It comes from consistent obedience to God's will and partaking in the divine nature. And we're instructed to supplement that knowledge with this thing called self-control. Man, precisely what we humans do not do naturally. This is a tough one. Whether you're talking about just tempting indulgences or many other behaviors, it's just plain hard work. You may be tempted to overindulge in anything, anything from food and drink to television to Facebook, success, money, binging on news programs, washing your hands, you name it, we can turn just about anything into an idol. And we will lose our mastery or our control, our command over whatever it is. And we can become slaves to those idols. And we end up serving them rather than the other way around. And there are literally endless numbers of things that we need to gain self-control over. And this proverb that I put up on the screen, it picks on just one thing that I think we often overlook, and that's anger. And it's, it's basically describing whoever gets angered easily and gives vent to that anger is compared to someone who takes a city by force. Imagine like you, get, you just get so angry you black out in rage and you do something you don't even remember doing it rather than a person who rules his spirit. It's so easy to relax your command over things like anger and it can even feel really satisfying at the time, right? But when we do this, we can leave a wake of destruction in our path and the damage and the collateral damage can be a real mess. The point is simple. It's this, that Jesus wants us to follow him without these idols. He wants to rescue us from those. We're not to have have-to-haves or entanglements. And in order to do that, we have to address our sinful desires for whatever it is that tempts us. And we have to bring those things into submission, control. And we exercise that self-control and we grow in this thing called steadfastness. Steadfastness is another less than common word these days. And some other words for it might be patience or endurance. Steadfastness is the ability to endure when circumstances become difficult. Where self-control had to do mo mostly with handling the pleasures of life, patience relates primarily to pressures and problems of life. 
and the ability to endure problem people, for example, that's called long-suffering. Patience is not something that we just develop automatically. We really have to work at it. And James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8, he really gives us the right approach, the right roadmap. Let me read that for us. This is often titled, Testing of Your Faith. He says to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. So plan on trials. They will come. In fact, without those trials, we could never learn patience. We can, however, by faith, let our trials work for us rather than against us. And we can learn everything we can from them because we know that God is at work in these trials. And God offers us some much needed help in this passage too. Did you, did you catch that? If we need wisdom, need help making decisions, God will grant that wisdom if we ask him. Uh, when, I'm, when I'm asking, I like to add, Lord, would you please help me get it? Whatever it is you're teaching me, please help me get it quickly so I don't have to do this again. That may sound selfish, but I say it. God will grant that wisdom if we ask him for it. Nobody enjoys trials, but we can enjoy the confidence we can find in trials that God is at work in them, and he's causing everything to work for our good and his glory. And that requires trust. And notice that it's with this characteristic steadfastness that we, we're starting to cross a line, a threshold from just a simple individual command to a more corporate expectation. Because being immersed in a community with these other people, it requires... It mandates steadfastness, patience, long-suffering. So we exercise steadfastness, and we develop this thing called godliness. Godliness, <clears throat> or piety, to use a more archaic word, but it's probably a better descriptor. Hopefully this starts to invoke images of reverence or about people that are really devout, devoted. Godliness simply means God-likeness. In the original Greek, Eusebia, 
Eusebia, Eusebia, sorry, Eusebia, this word meant to worship well. It describes a person who is in right relationship with God and other people. Functioning in the right vertical relationship with God as well as the horizontal relationship with other people. Start to think community here. People with this quality of character, they kind of stand out. They live above the petty things of life, passions and pressures that control some of the rest of us. They're focused on God's will, and they look out for other people. And we might be tempted to think of godliness as unnecessary, or maybe it's impractical, but quite the contrary. It's an incredibly practical way to live. Godly people make good decisions, right and noble decisions, and they don't do shortcuts. They don't try and avoid trials. They do what is right because it's right and because it's the will of God. And to this, we add brotherly affection. Brotherly affection, I hope you realize we're solidly in the corporate or community end of our lives here now because you simply cannot exercise and develop things like brotherly affection in isolation. Brotherly affection, or Philadelphia is the Greek, and I think Peter had a hard time with this one too. Recall when I introduced the book and in some previous sermons, we talked about how Peter and all the other disciples, frankly, were constantly arguing and jockeying for position. Here's the thing. If we claim to love Jesus, we are commanded to love our brother and our sister in community. And not a fake kind of love, but a sincere love that Peter talked about in 1 Peter 1.22, where it says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And not just do this occasionally or intermittently. Hebrews 13.1 says, let brotherly love continue. That means let it carry on and on. Let it remain a constant in your fellowship. And Romans 12 tells us in the section that's often titled, The Mark of a True Christian. It says to love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing each other honor. We're almost to the end of this list, and I hope you're starting to see how it's piecing together. We're supposed to supplement brotherly affection with this thing called love. Actually, love is the thing that wraps it all together. As Peter writes, there's more to Christian growth than simply brotherly love or brotherly affection. 
Peter's telling us that we also have to have the kind of love that Jesus showed when he went to the cross. That's sacrificial love. The kind of love that 2 Peter 1.7 is talking about is the Greek word agape. And it's often called charity. It's the kind of love that God showed towards sinners. People that were in rebellion to him. Yet he still loved them. It's also the kind of love that gets described in 1 Corinthians 13. That's the one you hear at weddings all the time. Really, it's more the love that the Holy Spirit produces in our hearts as we walk in the Spirit. Warren Wearsby, he's a pastor and an author. He passed on a number of years ago, but he, he put the difference between these two types of love in this way. He says, when we have brotherly love, that's Philadelphia, we love because of our likenesses to others. But with agape love, we love in spite of the differences that we have. See the difference? Jesus helps us to develop these trust muscles. Sequentially, he's building on them from this foundation of trust in Christ, faith. And he does this inside a community of believers. And he's doing it for that same community. Because here's the deal. You are not your own. You are members of one body. How, how is it that I can say that? Well, it's all over Scripture. A few samples. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Romans 12, starting in 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And last one, 1 Corinthians 12. But God so composed the body, giving greater honor, honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And we all, as partakers of his divine nature, we have a role, we have a responsibility to grow in knowledge and develop these muscles that are based on the truth of Jesus, his gospel, his great promises. These are what he uses to help us escape the corruption that we're prone to as humans because of our sinful desires. This is how he sets apart a people for himself, a covenant community. We just read about it a couple months ago, 1 Peter 2 just I'll read two verses here. First Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, he says, As you come to him, 
a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Man, we're going to need some help to do that. All we have to do is accept his help. Believe, have faith, trust in the truth. And ask him. He'll help us. He will help us to grow into the instruments that he wants us to be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming to rescue us. We confess, we agree with you, Lord. We are lost without your divine help. Father, thank you for sending Jesus and your Holy Spirit to do for us that which we could not do ourselves. Lord, would you please help us to grow in these characteristics which your son so perfectly displayed for the world that you created to see. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen.